So we've been in a series for the past weeks. This is our second week. Seems like it's been longer. And uh, we're doing a series on deliverance, on freedom. And so we thought, what better person to speak with you this Sunday than Pastor Pat? And uh, I want you to get excited because he shares experience. What he's teaching on is not something he's learned in a book. He has seen it in action, and it's amazing to watch this guy move in the prophetic, move and seeing people set free. So will you welcome Pat to the stage and give him a warm ovation? All right. Well, thanks, church. Um, Real quick, do we have any veterans that are in the house today right now? If, they, if you are, if you would please raise your hand. We got like a few around here. Can we, can we give them a round of applause and say just thank you for your service? It's amazing what they do, what they've done. My family has a history of veterans in it, and so that's something that's near and dear to my heart is just the military and the sacrifice that their families make and that they make um, in order that we can be free um, in the natural. And but today we're going to talk about spiritual freedom. Um, and my message today, I'm just going to jump right in. Um, like I said, we've been, a, he said, we've, you know, we've moved two days ago to Oregon, so I'm officially an Oregonian now. Don't hate me. My, I've become a worse driver in the last two days. Um, but I don't have to pay any taxes. I have to pay income tax, but I don't have to pay any taxes on anything I buy. So that works out in my favor, I guess. But, um, so my message today is life, liberty, and the pursuit of freedom. And uh, it's something that we, uh, as a church, we've been, we've been jumping in. We, we talked about doing this series, and we did this series a couple years ago. And and uh, most of the, the church even wasn't here then, so we just said, hey, let's do this again. So um, we, we're going to talk about that today, jumping into uh, the freedom that God has for us. So today I want to really talk to you about if you are in bondage, why are you in bondage? And I'm going to use a story from the Old Testament, and I'm going to show you how Jesus is in that story and how this whole time he's been setting you up um, for freedom. He's been setting you up for your purpose and your destiny I'm going to, the, the primary area that I'm going to focus in on today is fear. And we're going to talk a little bit about fear, but really um, I want to talk more about faith. And we're going to talk about how you move from fear to faith. And I'm going to give you some practical steps on how to do that. Jonathan, Pastor Jonathan shared last week um, on, in our Declaration of Freedom series. And he, he really laid the great foundation for why we're sharing what we're sharing and, 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 and the reason why we need freedom. And and this first point that he made was that, you know, that we have an enemy and his name is the devil and he has demons. Now, I, I want to share a personal story with you. See, I grew up, I was an atheist when I grew up and I had a radical encounter with Jesus and my life changed forever. Um, and in, I was about six months into being a Christian and I'd thrown away all of my music because it was all bad. And um, I threw it all away, about $5,000 worth of music. And I was at my parents' house. And uh, I was living there still, and, and I found an old CD. Who remembers CDs, everybody? Who remembers 8-tracks? <laughs> so, who remembers CDs? I, still, I actually have a couple 8-tracks so, um, that were passed on to me from my dad, but I had never listened to them before. Um, but 
thank God for Spotify, so I don't have to have those CDs anymore. But I had this CD, and I put it in the CD player. I thought, oh, I'm cleaning up the house. I haven't listened to this music in a while. It's not really going to have uh, that, you know, big of an effect or whatever. And I put it in, and the music starts in, with my physical eyes, eyes wide open. With my natural eyes, I watch as two demons, I can see them with my natural eyes, walk up onto my parents' back porch, put their hands up against the window, and like press in like they're going to try to seek, uh, see and peer into the window. And immediately I knew what to do. I hit eject on the CD player. I pulled the CD out and I snapped it in half. And when I snapped it in half, I actually physically watched them go and just go away in that moment. So I tell you this, to, for one, there's some of you in this room who you've seen things and you're thinking, man, I'm crazy. No, you can just say I'm crazy like your pastor's crazy now. That There's other people that have seen these things and it's, it's not... It's not something to, to mess with. It's not something to be involved in, but that these things are real and that they can be a part of our lives if we let them be. Um, the second thing is that Christians can be in bondage. That was the second point that Jonathan made and as a foundation, and that's true too. I, until I was in my mid-20s, I was afraid of the dark, and, uh, which sounds weird that a grown man would be afraid of the dark. And, uh, and, but here's the thing that happened when I was, when we walked through this whole process of walking people into their freedom, um, when I was, uh, younger, when I was about five years old, I, I had this dream and in the dream, this demonic looking thing came at me in the dream, had like an ax. I was up on the top of my bunk bed and this is all in the dream. So this ax, he's swinging it around like this. And in the dream, I jump off the edge of my bed and I run into my parents' room and I actually woke up from the dream standing in my parents' room. And uh, there would have been no way for me to actually physically jump off the edge of the bed without me hitting my head on the door frame. So I don't know how I ended up in my parents' room, but I ended up in my parents' room. And you see, oftentimes, um, we talked about how doors can get open in our life. We talked about a door of fear that can be open. And, you know, sometimes we open that door. Sometimes other people open that door. But we learned that the enemy doesn't play fair. And as a five-year-old, he sent a dream my way that sent me down this path. That As I'm walking through this process of freedom and trying to get this door of fear closed in my life, that it came down to that was the root of where that fear came into my life. And as we close that door and I, I, you know, shed those different things off and I haven't been afraid of the dark since, hallelujah. But, um, but there's a lot of people, you face all kinds of different, and maybe you, it's little fears like that or maybe it's bigger fears. Maybe it's a fear of failure. Maybe it's a fear of not being who I'm supposed to be. Maybe it's a fear of never, uh, never achieving what it is that God has for my life. And we, we have all these fears that we, we hold on to and that we grasp, but we're never meant to grasp them. We're meant to walk in the freedom that God has for us. And that brings us to the third point that Jonathan made, which is that we have victory in Jesus. That, that we have victory in our Savior, that we don't have to walk in those things of fear anymore. We don't have to walk in those bondages anymore, but that we can walk in the freedom that God has for us. Amen? Amen. Good. My mouth is dry. And I just did that too. And I got baptized and spoke all on the same day. It's amazing. <coughs> so everything in my message today centers on this one idea. It centers on, on the idea that you have a destiny and a purpose for your life. That you have a God-given destiny and a purpose. You have a promised land, so to speak, 
that you're called to step into for the, the purposes of God in your life, that you are called to advance the kingdom of God wherever it is that God has you, and that that's the destiny and purpose that he has for you, is that he's putting you and he's setting you up for the future, for what your destiny and what your purpose is. And that's everything that I share today revolves around that, that idea and that concept. I actually want to share with you a, a story of perhaps the greatest veteran that we've had in our nation, George Washington. And, and, um, and I want to I share that be, with the idea, again, that there's a destiny and a purpose for your life. And so George Washington says this. He says, the all-wise disposer of events has hitherto watched over my steps. How many are thankful that we no longer use the word hitherto in the English language? Um, the all-wise disposer of events has hitherto watched over my steps. Washington wrote this in a letter to the Attorney General in the 1790s as he was seeking a second term as president. Washington was known during the War for Independence in the early years of our nation as America's indispensable man. Without him, our nation may have never come into being. Forty years earlier, Washington was in a battle as an officer with the British Army in the French and Indian War, and here are portions of his retelling of those events. Washington, the only aide who was unwounded, remained the sole aide through the, through the day to the general, but he also had one horse killed and two wounded under him, a musket ball through his hat, and several more through his clothes, but escaped unhurt. Meanwhile, the other remaining officers were either killed or so severely wounded that they were unable to assume command once General Gage began to succumb to his wounds. Washington's summary of how this engagement ended makes for somber reading. He wrote, of about twelve or 1,300 which were in this action, eight or 900 were either killed or wounded, among whom a large proportion of brave and valuable officers were included. Several days later, on July 18, 1755, Washington wrote to his brother, John Augustine Washington. Reports had begun to circulate that he had been killed, and he wrote as soon as he could to his family and friends. Dear Jack, the letter began, as I have heard since my arrival at this place a circumstantial account of my death and dying speech. I take this early opportunity of contradicting both and of assuring you that I now exist and appear in the land of the living by the miraculous care of providence. And he capitalizes that word providence. And if you look throughout Washington's writings, you'll see 18, 19 different times in his writings, um, he capitalizes that as a name for God, that he is a name that he would call God. So he's in the miraculous care of providence that that protected me beyond all human expectation. I had four bullets pass through my coat and two horses shot, under, shot out from under me and yet escaped unhurt. Now it's miraculous to say the least that he survived that battle. But what if I were to tell you that when he was eight years old on Christmas Eve, his family's log cabin had a terrible fire in the living quarters and Washington's family narrowly escaped with their lives. You see, God had a purpose for Washington in the establishment of our nation, and the enemy tried to derail that purpose. And there's lots of you that you've taken shots at your life. You've had moments in your life from when you were young, you know, because the enemy doesn't play fair, where he's come and he's tried to incite fear or put fear into you to keep you from achieving the destiny that God has on your life. And, and the, I could hear countless stories from people, and I do, when they come into my office and they, they share things. And there's a lot of stuff that's happened to a lot of people that, man, that could really derail a person. That could really send them down that wrong path of fear. So why are you in bondage? Why does fear have a hold on you? 
You might even ask us, why me? Why did I have to suffer through that or go through that? The devil's primary purpose is to stop you from accomplishing the destiny that God has for your life. And one of the ways that he will do that is by causing fear in your life to keep you from walking in all that God has for you. See, he will bring fear up in your face to keep you because he knows that he's already been beaten. He knows that, that the victory has already been won by Jesus. So if that he can use fear to keep you from stepping into the destiny that you have, then he knows, you know what, then it's just going to take a little bit longer for Jesus to come back. It's just going to take a little bit longer. It's just, and that's why he does it. He wants to stop you from stepping into the truth, and the truth will set you free. Galatians 5.1 says this, it says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And here's where it comes down to, it's not just about you. You see, we've been set free, it's for freedom that he makes us free. What does that mean? That means that I'm free so that I can set others free. That means that you've been set free so that you can set others free. That means that generations that surround you, the generations to come, your grandchildren can be free because you've walked in freedom in your life. That means that he's setting you up for success in your family and he wants to bring his, his, uh, his truth and his, his justice to come and, and to fight on your behalf for your family and your generations. Your freedom isn't just for you, it's for all those around you. And so I want to paint a picture to you of how Jesus is preparing the way for you in your freedom. And I'm going to use an Old Testament story to do it. And um, some of you may be familiar with this, but there's these people in the Old Testament, the Israelites. And uh, they were in bondage to Egypt for several hundred years in slavery. And then uh, the Lord raises up Moses, and Moses comes to, uh, to set them free. And when, when Moses comes... You know, a lot of plagues come with it, too. So he wants to, to release the Israelites from the Pharaoh's hand, but the Pharaoh won't let them go. So he's, the Lord sends a bunch of plagues um, to the land of Egypt. And then eventually, uh, you know, the Pharaoh gets sick and tired of it. And there's one last plague that comes. It's the plague of the firstborn. And what, what God does is God says, I'm going to send the angel of death and he's going to come and he's going to kill every firstborn child. But if the Israelites, if they will kill a spotless lamb, and then they will take the blood and they'll put it on their doorpost. The angel of the Lord will pass over you and your firstborn will, will survive. And he, here's the reality is that even then, it was about the next generation. It wasn't just about them. It wasn't just for their own freedom. It was about the generation that was to come. And so this is actually a picture of your salvation. This is a picture. You were in bondage to sin and slavery. You were in a bondage. And then Jesus came as the spotless lamb and he shed his blood for you so that, so that death would pass over you and now you get to walk into eternal life. I mean, that's an amazing gift that we get. And so this is actually a picture of our salvation. And then what happens, the next section is in, uh, in Exodus 14. So the Pharaoh lets the people go because he's so distraught about his own son dying. So he lets them go. And then in Exodus 14, it says this. Then the Lord said to Moses... Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi-Hacharoth between Migdal and the sea. And there they are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal-Zephon. And you're asking, why did he say this verse with all these weird words in it? And, um, and I, I want to tell you, so, so here's the deal. So imagine the first settlers that came here and decided to name Woodland. I'm sure that, you know, they weren't super clever. They were just like, hey, there's a lot of woods here. 
and we're on some land, so let's name it Woodland, right? So when we were over in St. Helens, the reason actually why they named it St. Helens is because there's a view of Mount St. Helens from St. Helens, so they decided to name the city St. Helens. Well, in the Old Testament, they're not that much more clever than we are, but they just speak a different language, so we don't, uh, we don't know what those words mean unless we look them up, and they're in Hebrew. And that, that Hebrew root, Baal Zephon there, it actually means the Lord of the North, or it also references Zephon or Typhon, which is the chief demon of the Egyptian belief system, is Typhon. So they are encamped across the Red Sea from, in, in, over on the other side is the chief demon of the Egyptian belief system. And here's where it gets interesting, is that so that uh, God uses Moses, and, and Moses, you know, sticks out his staff in the Red Sea parts, and they walk through, and this is a picture of water baptism. And so they walk through, and all of their enemies die behind them. All of their enemies are gone. All of that old bondage, all of that old slavery, all of that old stuff is dead and gone. And it's at the bottom of the Red Sea. They, they dropped into the, the baptismal, and all of that sin, all that bondage dropped off them, and they came out new. But what they came out on the other side in the land of the chief demon. And then what happens? They go up to, to the edge of the Jordan River, and they send out some spies, and the spies go out, and they're on the other side, and 10 come back out of the 12 with a negative report, and they believe fear that there's giants in the land, and we can't take this land, even though the Lord told them to take the promised land. They, they, they believe the lies of fear, and they step out in that, and so then they wander around the wilderness for 40 years. 40 years listening in the land of the devil, listening to the, his lies. 40 years. Jesus got water baptized. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days. As he goes into the wilderness for 40 days, he encounters the devil. And as he's in the wilderness for 40 days with the devil, he responds in faith. And he says, whenever the enemy comes at him with, with something, whenever the devil comes at him with something, he responds with the Scripture. And he responds with, no, this is, this is not... This is not who I am. This is not who my God is. And I'm going to step into to freedom. And that's who we get to, to connect to. We get to connect to the one who makes it so that we don't even have to walk into the wilderness for 40 days. We just get to walk into freedom. In Exodus 15, it says this. The water made my paper stuck together. I'm afraid to take a drink again. <laughs> I know, is that right? Here we go. We'll just stare that fear right in the eye. Here we go. I successfully drank water. My day has been made. So then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water, and when they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it in the water, and the water became fit to drink. There the Lord issued a ruling and an instruction for them and put them to the test. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. Now that name, Desert of Shur, Shur actually means 
wall in Hebrew. And so they literally, they went into the, this area, this desert where there was a wall. What did Jesus come? They were there for three days walking through that. What did Jesus do in three days? He went down to the grave and he broke down the barrier, the wall between us and the Father. What else happened there? There's, uh, a, there's these waters of bitterness. Mara means bitterness. It's also a root for the name Mary. Mary was the mother of Jesus. And Mary had a chance to become bitter, but she didn't. She said, no, let it be unto me. And then she carried the Savior of the world and, and birthed him. And then, and then what happens is he throws a piece of wood in the water. And what happens for us when we put ourselves, when we put ourselves at the feet of Jesus at the cross... What the cross does for us is it removes all that bitterness. It removes all of that, those negativity. And, and what happens, the water is no longer bitter, but then we have rivers of living water that flow out from within us. And, and here, this is really fun too, is that he gives him this command. And he says, if you do these things, I'm, I'll heal you. you won't, I won't have any of these diseases. And then they go and they hang out with 12 springs and 70 palm trees. So why is that significant? See, Jesus gave us this command. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said, also, the Great Commission, he gave us a command to go, and to, when we, that when we go, we would, uh, we would heal the sick, raise the dead. I was going to say cast something, and it wasn't going to be good. Cast out demons. So he calls us to do that. But who does he send out before he sends us out in the Scripture? He sends out the 12 disciples, so the 12 springs, and he sends out the 70, and he sends them out, and that's the 70 trees. So here's this very clear picture in the scripture of Jesus throughout the Old Testament. So here's the problem. Despite all that God has done for the Israelites, they choose to not step into their destiny by giving in to fear. They choose to live in the wilderness, saved, baptized in water. They're even baptized in the Holy Spirit at Mount Sinai. The, there was fire on the mountain, and the, that word, uh, that thunderings, that word can actually be translated into many voices. So there's fire, and there's many voices. And then in Acts 2, there's a fire that rests on them, and they speak in tongues. So they were even baptized in the Holy Spirit, but they still chose to live in the bondage of Egypt. They still chose to live there for those 40 years where they're wandering around. Despite all that Jesus has done for us, we still choose to live in those bondages. We still choose to hold on to him. We still choose to carry those things into our relationship with him when he never intended for us to have those things, that he wanted to take those things away from us. You see, sometimes, you know, we, we view bondage or we view um, different things, you know, and we, we think of shackles or chains or prison or all those things, but I'm going to tell you that it doesn't always look like that. What sometimes what, what your bondage or that fear that's, that's attacking, what it looks like is it looks like a jacket. It's really comfortable to wear. It protects you from the outside world. Um, you, you know, you might look good in the jacket. You might have a cool little zipper pocket over here that allows you to hold all your negative emotions, and then you can tell people, oh, I just live with my heart on my sleeve. And, and we wear these things, and we wear this fear, and it's really the whole time it's a bondage. It's something that's holding us back. And this gets me to my, my, my first practical step for you on how to get rid of fear in your life. And the first thing is just to repent. It's to get rid of it. He, God wants us to take the jacket off. He wants us to repent. He wants us to get rid of those things in our life that, that aren't a part of us. And what does that look like for you practically? That looks like saying, you know, God, forgive me for giving into fear. God, forgive me for uh, allowing fear to control me and allowing it to stop me from what it is that you have for my life.
It's, I mean, it doesn't have to be anything crazy. It can be really simple. So what happens next is that Joshua is leading this new group of Israelites um, who've been in the, they've been uh, in the wilderness for 40 years because they were born there, but they never heard the lies that came at the beginning. And so Joshua has to hang out with Caleb. Um, they're the only two guys that survived through that whole entire process. And, and they're, they're here, and this is what Joshua does. It says, Joshua, the son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and they stayed here. Notice that Joshua only sent two spies out. He didn't send out 12. You know, sometimes we need to silence the voices in our life that are speaking to us all that negativity and all the garbage and all the lies and all those different things. We need to silence those voices and not give them a chance to speak to us. Um, we have to silence those things. And, and really, to me, this is the next part of it is, is renouncing. So we repent, and then we renounce lies that are attached to our life. And, and this, how do we recognize a lie? So here's how you recognize a lie. Does, does, does it contradict this? Does it contradict the Word of God? Is it something that, that Jesus wouldn't say about you? Then it's probably a lie. Does it promote fear or anxiety or worry in you? Then it's probably a lie. Because that's not what God wants you to have. He wants you to have peace and rest. So how do we fight against that? So we renounce those things. And what is renouncing? I know it's another one of those words that we don't use normally in the English language, but let me give you some definitions of renouncing that I got off of Google that were off of Webster's, so they weren't just from Google. Um, the first one is to formally declare one's abandonment of or a claim or a right or possession to. See, sometimes we claim possession of a lie. We hold on to it real tight, and we, it's almost our friend because it keeps us in that place of, of bondage. But we're not realizing we're in bondage, but we think you know, that that thing's going to protect us, and it's not. Refuse to recognize or abide by any longer, that we're no longer going to live by that lie. We're going to renounce it. So we're going to declare that one will no longer engage in or support. We're no longer going to hold up these lies in our lives. We're going to reject and stop using or consuming See, we can consume a lie, and then it consumes us. We can consume a lie, and then, it, and then it just takes over our life. And that's not what he wants for us. To refuse or resign a right or position, especially one as an heir or a trustee, which gets me back to this idea that your freedom is for the generations that are to come, because, you see, you can pass on those lies to your family. You can pass on that bondage to your family without realizing it. How many, I don't know how many times in my office I'll be sitting with somebody and we're walking through the steps of freedom and it comes down to it's something generationally that happened. that has been passed down from generation to generation and where they've believed that thing is truth and it's not truth, it's a lie. And we get to renounce that thing and get to break its power off of their life and to watch them as they step into the freedom of no longer having to live under the bondage of that lie. It's, pr it's a pretty amazing privilege, honestly. So here we are, we've repented for living in fear, we've renounced lies that are attached to our, our fear, so what do we do next? Well, let's jump back into the story. Remember how there was two spies that went and stayed with Rahab, the prostitute, and remember how I mentioned that Jesus is preparing the way for our freedom, and that we have been set free, not just for us, but for the generations to come. So I want you to keep that all in mind as I share this next part. Between Deuteronomy 31 and Joshua 1. Joshua was told seven different times 
by Moses twice, by his officers once, by God four times, to be strong and courageous. Now, why would they need to tell jo uh, Joshua to be strong and courageous? It's because he's had to walk around listening to all those people's lies for the last 40 years in the desert. Even though he didn't believe those things and he believed the truth, he still had those things attached to him and connected to him and still trying to speak to him. And you know what else? When you step into that promised land, you're going to face a Jericho. You're going to face your fear right in, the, right in the face. You're going to face it. And God's going to have to say to you, you know what? It's time for you to be strong and courageous. It's time for you to stand up to all the things that I've called you to do. It's time to stand up for what, what I've said in your life. So Israel camped at the edge of the Jordan for three days. And the Lord spoke to Joshua to have the Ark of the Covenant go before the Lord as they crossed the Jordan. The spies had told Rahab to stay, you know, get her family in there and that they would be saved as the Israelites came over. So the Ark of the Covenant is the representation of the presence of God in Old Testament times. Um, we don't have time to get into it, but inside the Ark of the Covenant are three different things. And those three things represent God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So the presence of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are going before them as they go to cross over into the Jordan. Uh, Joshua is the English version of the Hebrew name Yeshua. Jesus is the Greek version of the Hebrew name Yeshua. So you have Jesus going before you, setting that path of freedom for you. You have the presence of God going before you. You've repented, you've renounced, you've had all these things happen. And in Joshua 3, it says this, So when the Lord broke camp to cross the Jordan... The priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet, as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam. In the vicinity of Zarethan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. And this brings me to my third thing that you need to do. You've repented, you've renounced, now here it is. You simply receive the freedom that Jesus offers to you. You step on that dry ground, you walk into your promised land, you be strong and courageous, you stand up to the enemy, and you cross. You move forward. The presence of God has gone before you. Jesus, Yeshua, has heaped all the sin and bondage in your life at a town called Adam, the original sinner. It goes all the way back. All of the bondages that you've had a part of your life, it's all been set all the way back to that town of Adam. It no longer has a way to... And it was really interesting that that flowed to the Dead Sea. No longer sin leads to death, and that bondage no longer has a hold on your life. And you get a step on dry land across into the promised land and the destiny and the purpose for which God has created you. But here's the thing, you're going to get over there and you're going to face Jericho and God's going to give you some crazy military strategy. Hey, let's go ahead and let's walk around this fortified city for six days. One time each day and then on that seventh day, 
what I want you to do is I want you to get really tired and I want you to walk around seven times and then I want you to shout for victory. And you know what happens? Those walls come down. When you face your fear, when you're strong and courageous, when you're obedient to what the Lord tells you to do, those walls will, go to, will come down. And here's the most amazing part to me. Remember Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. The walls came down and the only ones saved are Rahab the prostitute and her family. She becomes a part of Israel. So your freedom isn't just for you. It's, it's you've been set free for, to set others free. And you being free and stepping into your purpose is for the generations to come. You see, there's only five women who are mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. You know who one of those women is? It's Rahab the prostitute. She's mentioned in his genealogy. So all these years back, Jesus has this picture in the Old Testament of, of, of clearly being shown through the scripture that this is what Jesus wanted. He wanted them to step into freedom. And, and all this time, generations later, she's in his genealogy. Your freedom is important because your grandkids' freedom is important. Your freedom is important because your great-grandchildren's freedom is important. Your freedom is important because the rest of the world needs to get free. So we can't let those fears, we can't let those things hang on to us. We can't hang on to those fears ourselves. We have to step up and be strong and courageous. We need to repent, we need to renounce, we need to receive all the things that God has for us. So I'm going to ask everybody to stand. And if you're here today and you've never stepped into a relationship with Jesus before and, and you really want to step into that first step, of making him your savior. And I want to give you an opportunity for that. And if that's you and you're here in this room, I just want to give you that opportunity. So I want you to raise your hand. All right, Jeffrey. So if you can come forward and Jeffrey's going to pray for you over here. Yeah, you can come up. Come on, church. Somebody stepped in from life to death, or from death to life. Stepping out of bondage, stepping out of all the things that, that God wants to All the, the things of the enemy. I'm just going to even do this right now. Hold on a second. I just want to pray over her real quick. So Jesus, even just right now. There's been a, there's been a past and a history that, that hasn't been proud, but God said that, that, that he's going to do something amazing in your life that you wouldn't believe even if you were told that things are going to shift and turn. That you're going to step into all the freedom that God has for you. And I don't know what those past hurts or those different things that have come, but he's coming to bind up those wounds. He's coming to, to rub even just his healing oil on those wounds. And that you will be completely set free in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And then I actually, I also, I want to provide an opportunity. If there's anyone here in this room that you know that you've been bound up in fear, that you've let fear control you, you've let fear be a, a part of your life, and you don't want to do that anymore. You want to step into the destiny and the purpose for which God has called you. And so I actually want to give you an opportunity this morning, whether that's you coming forward to repent of that or whether that's you coming forward to renounce any lies that have been attached to fear in your life. I want to give you that opportunity today. And so if that's you, I just even ask that you would step out of your seats.
and that you would come up to the front and just take this opportunity to be with just you and the Lord and, and you give those fears over him and step into the freedom that he has for you. So if that's you, just come forward. second if there's any more that want to respond. Yes, Lord, and we just declare all over these ones, Jesus, that your freedom is their portion. God, that they, they no longer have to succumb to a spirit of fear, but God, that you've come to give them a spirit of uh, power and of love and a sound mind, God. God, that, that you're coming even right now uh, just to bring healing into their life in those different areas that they need. God, thank you that they were bold enough to be strong and courageous and stand up um, against fear as it faced them. And God, I pray that even right now that you would come and that you would move in power upon each one of their lives, that you would remove the enemy, that you would remove those areas of darkness, those lies they've believed, that we would just break those lies off right now in Jesus' name, that those things that they've believed for so long about their life, God, that you would begin to just come and restore in this moment the truth, that you would come and you would speak truth into their life even right now in this moment. In Jesus' name. Church, why don't you just do this with me? Just extend your hands for a moment to these different individuals that came up. Father, we thank you for freedom. We thank you that fear is broken in Jesus' name. Fear has no hold in Jesus' name. Every lie that would try to convince you that you aren't worthy of being free. Every, try, every lie that would try to convince you that your past will always be there. Every lie that would try to convince you that it's just going to come back, nothing's going to change after this moment. We break those lies. We break those lies in Jesus' name, and we thank you for freedom. We thank you for freedom. If you've ever battled fear before, you understand it can be grippling, it can hound you, it can suffocate you. Father, we just pray new life in Jesus' name. New life. The old is gone, the new has come in Jesus' name. Freedom, Holy Spirit, freedom. Breathe fresh breath into them. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, wasn't that a good word? Come on, just thank Pat.